Oh, oh right. Talk into the microphone. Yeah. Talk a little. You don't have to. I mean, no. I just don't know okay. what people would listen to. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I liked Spencer's macrame. Thank you. It was incredible. I was very, I was like, you have to pull it out the macrame <laughs> and let everybody see what you have created and it's, it's like, great it is great it's huge yeah it looks like a uh weird squid yeah that's what i, I think so too it looks yeah. like th- well, two stories at least maybe reaching a third story it like prob- if you hung it off yeah. like a third floor balcony it yeah would go it would down. dangle for sure because uh, spencer yeah he's six six and he was holding up his arm oh my gosh so that and it was still on the floor i think so and it was tied up at the bottom so some legit macrame for my stepdad there's some there's some guinness potential here dang world's longest macrame i don't know who's holding that record but he's probably got a shot yeah go for it (laughs) spency hell yeah yeah i'd like to see it i feel like i had something Mm. to bring to the table but here i am nude <laughs> okay that was uh that you was a lot to bring to the table record most podcasts nude I oh thought. yeah i mean True. especially in summer yeah it's way too hot not it's to disgusting. be mm. gotta air out mm. yeah it's mm. dry also makes it easier for us to do our witches rituals after the recording mm-hmm. sure. you know we don't have to like, go change jeez yeah. yeah change into nudity <laughs> oh, I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. I was gonna bring this story um, about this guy that catfished this uh, girl, sixteen-year-old girl, into murdering her f- best friend uh, because he was like, "Oh, I'll give you nine million dollars." And so she and a group of other friends were like, "Hey, come out in the woods," and then murdered oh my God. this girl. And Whoa. I was like, "Okay, like that's." interesting enough to like talk about especially like the catfishing element and everything then it was like oh he also convinced her to take photos of children (gasps) that were naked and he also convinced her to engage in sexual activity with these children and i was like this is too can't do it no thank you Mm -mm, i I can do a summary but i am Mm -hmm. not digging into this no that's awful that whole convincing to kill your friend thing sounds like the slender man yeah murder. that's what i was gonna Very say like similar sounds like that and like it sounds she was like probably ready to go the wolf yeah. guy that you did that convinced that 16 year old girl to kill her parents and her little brother oh, oh yeah. yeah wolf guy yeah the vampire wolf guy <laughs> i can't remember his name it's not worth remembering wolfy baby Personally. Honestly, I don't remember that story. I just said, "Oh yeah," because really, y'all said I told. I him. remember it. Oh yeah, I do. It was like in a yeah. He oh god. He was like twenty eight ish, and she was like 15, fifteen. And he, they like online chatted, and he was like, "Your parents are suppressing you," and so oh, they yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh he, yes, 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 yes. I'll yes, give yes, you the episode yes. number if you right. want. Right? Yeah, to you it. can go back and listen to it on <laughs> Weird Brunch. That's you the did podcast. A good job telling it. Yeah. Oh, right. Here we are. Hi. What a what a great segue. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. To say what you're listening to that you hopefully already know what you're listening to. But <laughs> I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm Karina Magyar. And I'm Lisa Friedrich. This is Weird Brunch. Still. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't changed. But let's get this party started because we got shit to do. Oh Hell yeah. Yeah. Lisa. Mm. Yeah. Uh I want to talk about 
Paso Robles, California. It's a historic town along the Salinas River in San Luis Obispo County, California. Anything for Salinas. Um, it's name coming from the original El Paso de Robles, meaning the Pass of Oaks. Uh, it's the quintessential Old West town, looking very much as it always has. Uh, and it possesses a long history with typical Western characters. It was inhabited by native tribes for thousands of years until the mission era when settlers began pouring into the region of the area of Paso Robles as it became known for numerous thermal springs. What? Oh, okay. Hot springs. Hot springs. Okay. Um, In 1857, uh, Daniel and James Blackburn came from West Virginia to California to try to make it with the gold. (laughs) (laughs) Texas tea or real gold? Real gold. Got it. (laughs) Um, Fake gold or real gold? The success provided them, so they found gold, um, and then they were able to purchase Rancho El Paso de Robles, which included the natural flowing hot springs and a stagecoach stop. There were stagecoach stop. That's pretty legit. Sounds like a this sounds like a board game move. Yeah, I know. Like with my Mm -hmm. community chest money, I'm going to purchase this stagecoach. Right, settlers of California build a library. Yeah, (laughs) that Um, comes later though. Watch later. I don't know that there's ever been a library in this town. Um, (laughs) so there were uh, so they had the stagecoach stop, but there were gangs of lawless men. <sighs> robbing stages and wagons. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Daniel Blackburn joined the vigilance committee. So they were like cops. <laughs> <laughs> Citizens arrest. Like that. Yeah. Um, but then he was made sheriff. So they legitimized the cops. So um, as soon as stagecoaches could travel safely, um, more and more people were coming here. And the Blackburns made improvements to the resort area um, because people were like, oh, these hot springs are really cool. Mm. Yeah. And it was due to the hot springs in the area that in the 1880s, Mexican war veteran Drury James of Kentucky, uncle to the infamous Jesse and Frank James. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know Jesse. I don't know Frank. I don't know Frank either. I don't know no Frank. Um, So he was able to secure a land grant along the Camino Real Trail in Paso Robles. Thank you. I almost said Pablo. I'm pretty sure that's a tequila. Probably. It should be. Yeah. I think. And that's why I remembered the name. Um, so Drury actively advertised the hot springs as having healing properties and curative effects for a wide range of ailments, even going as far as to bottle it and sell it. My man. Naturally. Oh, right. There's your tequila. Late yep. 1800s snake oil dream. <laughs> So uh, more settlers and visitors poured in and it became a town in its own right uh, as more hot baths, orchards, cattle ranches, and vineyards sprung up around them. Dang, that's a whole relaxation station. Yeah. (laughs) I'm into it. I'd go there. Um, In 1886, the Southern Pacific Railroad made it a major stop along its route. And Paso Monopoly. Robles was officially incorporated as a city in 1889. I would love to play a Wild West Monopoly. How cool. I bet it exists. Fun. They have so many Monopolies. Oh, for sure. That'd be I have awesome. Lord of the Rings Monopoly. Ooh. Bragging. Yeah. We have it too. I think y'all gave it to us. 
CJ did what? (laughs) (laughs) We have some special type of monopoly that you and CJ gave us. And maybe it's, we can go check in a little bit. We're gonna check. (laughs) Turns out Mm. it's your monopoly. I've got dogopoly. Oh. Yeah, you buy breeds of dogs instead of properties. That's so fun. Can you adopt the dogs? Jesus Christ. No, it's That's when you go you, to you jail. Buy them and then when you have to mortgage them, you just put them down. Oh my god. <laughs> that's not true. I love it. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Um, I'm just kidding. It's not cuz it's imaginary. Okay. <laughs> no one's really putting dogs down. Uh, no one's putting dogs down. So it became a popular destination as a hot spring resort. With the magnificent El Paso de Robles Hotel, which is also known as the Hot Springs Hotel, which is also known as Paso Robles Inn later on. Um, And this served the main attraction for the wealthy uh, with its numerous bath rooms, not bathrooms, bath rooms. It's like a room for a bath. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, But not a bathroom. Yeah, it's called a... uh, It's like a A spa. Sauna. Yeah. 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 Bathhouse. Let's not get gross. I'm just <laughs> they had so they had bath rooms, plunge bath, a garden, and a nine hole golf course, which is kind of a big shit deal back yeah. in the day. The hotel itself became well known for its healing hot springs. It and the town would be visited over the years up to the present by such famous personalities as President Theodore Roosevelt. He's everywhere. Actors Douglas Fairbanks, Boris Karloff, Bob Hope, Clark Gable, Gary Busey, <laughs> wait, Mel Gibson. Oh, this is like over time. Mm-hmm. Okay, all at say, the same Teddy time. Roosevelt was dead. Uh, Sam uh, Sam Elliott's been alive since the Wild West. Yes, um, he's gone. Greg Kinnear. God, did they just keep a list of all the famous people? I guess. And Merle Haggard. <laughs> And many others. That's the perfect place to stop. Although this place was an attractive holiday destination, it was not without its shadier elements Ah! lurking about. (laughs) Most of which revolved around a rough place called Pine Street. Hazel Horn, past chair of the Paso Robles Main Street Association's design committee, that's way too long of a fucking name for a committee, Mm -hmm. said the late 1800s saw a raw, wild west section of California being tamed. Cattlemen drove herds into town, did their errands, and partook of refreshments in Mr. Campbell's saloon. There were over 15 saloons in town, most on Pine Street and three banks. Horse races were held along Pine Street every Saturday as entertainment for the cattlemen, ranchers, and town folk. Every Saturday on Pine Street, also known as Skid Row, (laughs) there were horse races and street dancers for the cattlemen, ranchers, railroad workers, miners, town folk, and many tourists flocking to the area for the Hot Springs Resort. So dances and races. That sounds fine. Yeah, I mean. It doesn't sound like Skid Row. No, it sounds Mm. nicer than Dirty Six. Yeah. Well, everything is nicer than Dirty Six. So they were often drinking, gambling, and raising a ruckus. And among them were some of the most notorious outlaws, notably Drury's nephews, Frank and Jesse James. Um, In the midst of the chaos was a modest two-story structure which held within it a bar that was at the time called the Red Door. Now it's called the Pine Street Saloon. And also a... uh, a candy store it was serving as a candy store which was actually one of jesse james alleged haunts when he was in town Aww. he liked a I little mean, candy store i like that you know? like the little candy store hey man you see all that money you got to spend it somewhere 
Um, a little bit more on Frank and Jesse James in 1868. They were busy robbing trains and getting themselves on the most wanted list. Jesse got shot and he wasn't healing properly. So they kind of uh, went and hid out with their uncle and the hot springs helped him heal until he was, they were just antsy to get out. And so their uncle was like, get the fuck out. Pine Street Saloon has long been considered ground zero for all manner of paranormal phenomena, including roving cold spots, mysteriously moving objects, shadow figures, and even the supposed apparition of Jesse James himself. Of course. course. The most famous person. I bet Teddy Roosevelt appears every once in a while, too. Mm -hmm. To shoot Jesse James once an hour. Yep. Ten dollars. Patrons have also complained of being pushed or slapped by unseen hands and mediums who have visited. That's what I would do. If I was a ghost, I'd just be like, sweat. Oh, fuck yeah. Just slapping people (laughs) randomly. Not randomly for good reason, but they'll claim it was random. Right. They don't know, though. Yeah. Don't know why. There's a pattern, but you have to figure it out. They did. Exactly. And they'll be like, maybe it's related to this person. And it's like, no, they're just a dick. No, no, I wouldn't. I would just slap them for like, you know, picking at that piece of skin too much. It's like, That's a dick it. move. It yeah, is a dick I move. I feel fucking seen right now. <laughs> I am. I have been picking at with everything my on my body for days. Well, you're lucky there's no ghosts slapping you. Not, Not yet. yet. But. I almost said dingo, but that's dingo. I meant to say like jinx, but I was going to say dingo, which is also wrong. That's how they say it in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mediums who have visited have reported there being very malevolent spirits here mm. that mean people harm. Yeah, but that's like asking a mechanic if everything anything's wrong with your car. I feel something over yeah. here. Definitely going to want to replace Someone those. definitely died here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Continue, Lisa. <laughs> How big is this place? Like, it sounds yeah. enormous. Like, it's a whole town. It's in a part of California that's still pretty remote. This is specifically about the bar. We're about to talk about the inn, which is actually very big. Um, Would you say the inn is out of this world? No? That's fine. Okay, sorry. Go. They've also captured fleeting figures and other anomalies on security cameras. Mm -hmm. And there is a TV show on the Travel Channel, which the name escapes me. Um, but they actually yeah. did bullshit and night vision. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god, that hurts my heart I hate so those much. Shows bullshit and night vision. Get out of here! Um, oh my god! But yes, that is exactly what it is. That is a really cool comic book. If you go to, to the Pine Street Saloon website, you can watch some of the videos. They've got like the YouTube videos up there. But there's lots of floating orbs. So the Paso Robles Inn, these are the stories uh, that people have experienced there. Mystery phone calls. So they've heard... It's multiple times I, a day. I googled travel channel bullshit and night vision. There's 992,000 results. Yeah, there is. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> one of the most common hauntings is the mystery of room 1007. It Wait. All that is not the room number. Wait, there was another room number, and I got I got excited about it. No, it was different from one thousand seven. <laughs> I'm convinced these are all the same room number in these hotels that are haunted. Oh, I'm sure that that's Googleable too. That'd be 
fucking cool. I don't want to Google that. I want to believe it. All right. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Uh, it all began after the first event was held in the newly renovated ballroom in 2001. Since then, the front desk at the hotel would receive mysterious phone calls, and they always came from room 1007. However, when the front desk agent picked up the phone, there was nobody on the other end of the line. Maybe Ooh. that phone is broken. Instead, yep. they'd hear a bizarre squelching sound. Mm-hmm. Squeak! Like that. I think it was more like... <laughs> Sorry, what? You know, like you're choking on your own tongue. Okay. Which, by the way, is how I would kill myself if I was ever in prison. Did you you know you can just swallow your own tongue and die? No, you can't. Yes, you can. I don't want to think about that (laughs) at night alone in my bed. Why? I'm just saying it's been in the back of my head for like 10 years. Wow. It's happening. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, your your things are in the way. If I get kidnapped, Uh it's over. How you'd have to things are attached. I'm trying. I'm not a fighter. Real hard to Mm-mm. swallow my tongue. Your tongues are safe, everybody. Impossible. Oh God. Unless you don't feel safe, and then you can swallow your tongue. No, no. Why no. is it stressing you out so much? She it's, just doesn't. I like don't want to swallow my tongue. Well, just don't swallow your tongue. Karina will never be able. I didn't to know sleep something I had to try not to do. Was, when you lay down, does your tongue just fold back <laughs> into your throat? Well, how do you choke on it? You have to like force. It's fine. Okay. We'll talk after. Um, (laughs) After bringing out the phone company to investigate these strange occurrences, they didn't find any glitches in the system that could have been causing the sporadic phone calls from room 1007. Fucking Verizon. It became a joke among hotel staff that a ghost was making the phone calls and the staff would log each time the front desk received one of these phantom calls. It was all good fun until 911 received a phone call from room 1007 one evening. Dang. The the police responded and just like the hotel staff before them discovered an empty room. Some of the staff recall standing in the room and witnessing the phone light up and call the front desk on its own. Who is making these phone calls? Uh, The inn's former manager started researching the Paso Robles Inn's infamous 1940 fire that destroyed the original hotel. He discovered that a call to 911 went out around 9.05 on the night of the fire. I didn't know 911 was around in 1940. I don't think think it was. Really? Yeah, no. Google it. I don't think it was. Yeah. Right? I accidentally just Googled how to swallow your tongue. Yeah. Well, I don't believe you. 1968. Um, well, fuck this whole thing. <laughs> fuck everything I've said. That's not to say you couldn't call the fire department. It probably just wasn't by dialing 911. Right. Oh. Unless the you, fire department's like phone the, number yeah. happened to be 911. Or maybe dialing the operator and asking yeah. for, ni- for emergency, just an emergency services. Service. They had operators, yeah. Thank you guys for making this okay for me. You're, You're welcome. Dingo. So, the night clerk, J.H. Emsley, sounded the fire alarm the, that night that the fire caught. Good <laughs> the job. fire caught. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, Friedrich. Uh, so, everybody evacuated the hotel safely that night, except for Emsley, who died of a heart attack before knowing that all the guests were safe from harm. So, they think that Emsley is haunting room 1007 and making these calls to make sure everyone is safe. And calling and going, oh, squelch. Why do these like ghosts? He's having his heart attack. 
Got right. it. Swallowing his own tongue. Folk tales that explain the ghost. Why do they always make it like a chicken soup for the soul story? Why can't it genuinely be terrifying for once? Well, let's talk about the little girl that's the ghost. All right. Um, or it could just be like a regular schlub. He was like reading. and Yeah. He's just lonely. Yeah. yeah. None of these are like slapping anybody in the face like the saloon. I want to know about the slappers. Yeah. No. <laughs> I look. I only I, care about the slappers. I did do a lot of research today. Don't tell anyone I work with. Um, and I could not find certain Any, things that I wanted to. No slappers. Like I couldn't find um, how a few Helen, of these slappers though. Jesus I'm Boy, sorry. Um, <laughs> it was a good one. It was good. Uh, I couldn't find how Helen Sawyer died. Um, but the ballroom hallway and a few of the rooms are haunted by her. Her father was a former general manager from the 1900s, and she's heard playing around in the hallway, footsteps and laughing. Ugh. So this is a little girl. Yeah. In my head, anyone named Helen is like 60. Pretty old. Yeah. 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 But well, it was, now. yeah, she would be old now. Yeah. I always think Helen Hunt before Helen Mirren. I don't know why. Hmm. I don't think of either one of them when I hear the word Helen. Do you think Mount St. Helen? I think 30 no. Helens agree. It's an old kids in the hall sketch. Oh. And they just get 30 old women named Helen and they all agree on something. 30 Helens agree. You can't pay too much for a good pair of shoes. A few years ago. Best joke from another show. It's very cute. A few years ago when they remodeled the historic ballroom, she was very active. They would open the doors for the construction workers in the morning. She would then follow behind them and close the doors. Contractors would also find tools moved around. She's the most active in room 1211 and the hallway. Uh, Cecilia's ghost. Cecilia Blackburn, wife of William Blackburn, one of the original owners who we talked about, you know, a cop, uh, haunts the wine room in the steakhouse. (laughs) Fuck yeah, that's where I'd be. That's Hell yeah. Fuck the ballroom. Bring me to the wine room with the steaks. Uh, she likes to this. I hate this. Ooh. She likes to play with the employee's hair, yeah. pull on it or brush it as strands. Oh my god, I'd rather be slapped. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. A willy, feel a little willy. Uh, she also <laughs> how little? Not not a whole. I don't got the willies, but it's a little willy. Okay, like a half a willy. Yeah, like a half willy. Like a five inch willy. Maybe. Like kind of skinny. Five. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Uh, okay. She That's also, how I want to die. She, swallowing a willy. Oh, God. <laughs> Real 180 for you, Karina. Hey. I said I wanted to die. <laughs> yep. If I'm ever suicide, never mind. If I'm ever stuck in a dick, you know it's over for me. Exactly. Um, yeah. She also locks the wine room after... It's opened, uh, and it's the type of lock that can only be locked or unlocked with a key. Cecilia. That's just inconvenient. Saving the grown-ups from their alcoholism. Um, And then there's a paranormal piano. There's a piano in the ballroom lobby who Ignaz Paderewski. Oh, my God. Ignaz Paderewski. Sure. Sounds legit. Played on. uh, He's a famous pianist who no one's heard of. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he had to end his career when his hands could no longer play. So in an effort to save his career, he went to Paso Robles, where he spent three weeks bathing in mineral waters until his hands were restored. His wife was also named Helen. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> uh, one evening, an employee was playing the piano and was playing a Paderewski piece. At the As the song started to build, the wall lighting started to flicker in unison with the music fun the light started going on and off very fast when the piece was finished two light orbs were seen flying away from the bench where the employees sat the lights went back to normal and this is just a fun fact that's very spielbergian Mm mm-hmm I'm done with the ghost stories. This is just something fun. (laughs) After a quick wedding in San Francisco, Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio headed down to Paso Robles, where Mm -hmm. they spent their first night as man and wife, enjoying a quiet dinner at the Paso Robles. Until they beat the shit out of her afterwards. My first marriage, the wedding was at that church. That's cool. Mm -hmm. What church? St. Peter and Paul in San Francisco, where Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. Hot diggity dog. Yeah. It was very Catholic. Did y'all dress up like Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio? No. <laughs> that would have been super weird. Half of my but... hand is full numb and asleep. I thought you were doing that with your hand because you were talking about a guy playing a piano. Oh, no. Um, if you were possessed by Ignacio, whatever his name was, because he didn't pronounce it right. Paderewski. Oh my god, my hand is numb now too. I'm just kidding. It's oh, not. Was, <laughs> Karina was like, "I'm out." I'm Fuck out. y'all. I just like my jaw. Some sort dropped. of hand disease. I didn't have anything to say or do. I was just like, "What?" Okay. Oh, I left my jewel in the goddamn car. Where's oh. my jewel? I'm sorry. Okay. Um. What's her name? Sophie Turner. Mm-hmm. Sophie Dark Phoenix. All right. Yes. All right. No one will ever see it again. I never saw it to begin with. Me either. Let's. Travel to the other side of America, to New Orleans. Yay, I'm happy. Let's go. Yay, let's do it. All right. Is that a... Like sure. a, a big band? Oh, all the saints. Okay. It took a bit, but yeah. I got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so let's start with you you need your jewel. a kid <laughs> named... Don't. Don't. Fucking swallow your tongue in front of us. Oh <laughs> Do that on your I own. I will pull it out time. of your throat. I'm, I'll tell you, you know, I want to save your life, but I also don't want to see that. So mm-hmm. you'll look while I'm saving your life. Yeah. It's like Job of the Hut dying. Oh. <laughs> so Zach Bowen, mm-hmm. he's a troubled kid. Yay. Uh, he's growing up in the 80s, early 90s. I think he was born in 1976. Okay. I'm terrible at math. Um, anyways, uh, Zach drops out of high school. He's moved around the country a bit with his mom, and they land in New Orleans. Where is he from? Um, California. Okay. Uh, wow. Whoa, so many people from California. Um, So he gets to New Orleans and he's doing a lot better in this spot. Like it's made for, you know, that troubled youth. Yeah, troubled youth, (laughs) the unconventional kid. Um, And there he meets a woman named um, Lana Shupak. 
Hmm. Uh, she, she is. A no, she is a 28 year old stripper, though. Cool. Not stripper. Exotic dancer. Let's oh, be nice. Less cool. And and how old is it's he? It's respectable. Uh, he's 18 my when man. he meets her. Oh, so man. that's 38 in New Orleans here. Yeah, they start dating, and he didn't tell her that he was 18. She finds out not too much later because she gets pregnant and she's like, yo, Zach, guess what? I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm 18. And she's like, oh, great. You're fucking 18. Of course you are. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't know. So they end up having a kid. His name is Jackson. Um, And Zach is trying his hardest to, you know, be a dad and be this person. And. He, like I said, he had dropped out of high school. And so he kind of had this like failure mentality already about Mm -hmm. him. Like he was sort of defeatist. And so he ended up going back to school and getting his GED. And then in 2000, he, because they find out that they have another kid on the way. Jesus. Yeah. He's like, I need to, you know, make more money than just bartending and I'm going to join the army. Yeah, I was going to say there so, are jobs that make more than bartending in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah, I know. That's that's the CEO that's the of thing. New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, so he joins the army and this is at like, I think it's in like November of 2000 and he's in Kosovo. And then, of course, as we all know, pretty soon after that, uh, 9-11 happens mm-hmm. in September of 2001. So after that, he is sent to a tour in Iraq and his kids and his wife move overseas because shit's not really going all that great at home and they're fighting and he's so far away. So they move over to Germany and he's able to visit them a little bit more, but obviously he's still doing tours in Iraq. And he gets pretty fucked up in Iraq. He, before he went there when he was still in Kosovo. So this guy is six foot eight. He's got size 17 feet. Good Mm. God. Um, Actually, I think he might be six nine. Um, Anyways, so. So he's someone I could choke on. Yeah. Jesus. Gross. (laughs) so So in, at the end of his time in Kosovo, he, ends up having to have like foot surgery because of he, he his giant feet. And uh, so this has been something that's kind of plagued him his whole life. And the same deal is happening when he's in Iraq. He's not a fan of the war. Like he makes a few friends that are Iraqis and they, you know, get killed. And, you know, he sees a couple of his friends get killed and he gets just really fucked up in Iraq. So after he's kind of, I don't want to say winding down, but um, one of his tours is kind of ending. Uh, He goes to Germany to visit his wife and she's like, I'm sick of this. We're not getting along. I'm going back to New Orleans. And he's like, "Uh, okay. And she leaves and he leaves the two kids there also. Oh, wow. So he 
figures out a way to get back to New Orleans with the kids and he's trying to be okay, but ultimately he's super affected by PTSD. Mm -hmm. He's like breaking out in rashes and is like depressed. And those are really common for people who are suffering from PTSD. And uh, the army starts to get frustrated with him. He's not meeting like the minimal physical requirements and he's, he's not walking it off. Yeah. He's not, yeah, he's not walking it off. So he's, he's not well and they're like well we have no more use for you and they don't honorably discharge him but they don't dishonorably discharge them there's a general discharge okay and so what happens when that when you're generally discharged Mm -hmm. it's not shameful or anything but that doesn't allow you to take advantage of the gi bill and you don't get Any the A. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, that's he, crap. Yeah. So How many tours did he serve over how many years? And they just did a general discharge on him? I don't know. I mean, did he go AWOL? What the hell? Mm. That's not cool, man. Uh, so he feels super, super defeated after all of this. And he kind of tried to lie about it for a little bit. And, of course, it came out. And him and... His wife don't get along and they're just like, fuck our marriage. We're done. I don't think they ever legally got divorced, though. Um, So he's trying to work through it, putting on a happy face, but he's not. And he starts bartending again in the French Quarter in New Orleans. And it's there that he meets a girl named Addie Hall. And Addie is a couple years older than him. She was a bartender also, but she came from like a troubled background as well. She had been sexually abused as a child and was kind of reckless because of the abuse she suffered. And so she went to New Orleans, same kind of deal. They meet each other and... um you know, they get along really well because they both kind of have this, you know, sadistic sense of humor and mm. they're both kind of kindred spirits and like a, we come from super fucked up backgrounds kind of way and they get along, but their relationship is very volatile and explosive and Addie was known for like, she she was really small and she would carry a gun with her and stuff. So if anyone really started fucking with her, she would just pull out a gun and be like, I'll fucking shoot you. Um, she also liked to flash people all the time, which, you know, you do you. Well, it's New Orleans. It is New Orleans. Like if there's any place to do it. that I mean, it's one of the things that people do there. Yeah. So... One of the things they have in common is that they both love to drink and love to do drugs. So uh, who would have thought that drugs and alcohol were fun? Not me. Mm-hmm. He still has the kids? Uh, well, no. So his wife is taking care of the kids. When he, he just brought them back. I don't know. Maybe there was some strategy behind there. Like the army would pay to send back the kids or something yeah. behind there. Because his wife or ex-wife actually seems really responsible and loves her kids flash forward slightly to 2005 when new orleans got royally fucked up by hurricane katrina everybody's evacuating and addy and zach were 
two of the people who decided to stay and ride out the storm. Uh, Zach's ex-wife, Lana, she did too, but she was in a much like safer type of structure. And she was like, I need you to come and be with the kids and me. And he was like, no, I'm going to be with Addie and we're going to ride it out here in our apartment. And they did. Everybody survived. What's funny is they got some media attention. Like, I, I guess the New York Times, was it? Uh, came down and interviewed people who had rode out the storm. And there's like a quote in there from Zach and a blip about Addie, about how she would fa- flash the police officers every time they came by <laughs> after Katrina when it was kind of third world country because she wanted them to come back and keep patrolling their area. Hey, you know. So okay. if boobs bring it in, I guess go for it. Make them grin. Yeah. <laughs> they, because they were bartenders and I guess maybe took some stuff, they ended up with a bunch of alcohol in their apartment during the time that they the were still looting. rebuilding. Yeah. When everything was going on for Katrina and so they would trade booze for food and like mm. make people cocktails and did this, I don't know, whole kind of getting through Katrina deal. After what the couple months or so that it took for water and electricity and everything to come back to New Orleans, they start getting back into the swing of things. But he's kind of starting to get worse. And Addie, as a result, probably is also getting more crazy. And they have more and more fights. And it's kind of starting to get abusive. So their bills are piling up. And their lifestyle is unsustainable. And shit's going really bad. They have this friend named Squirrel who kept supplying them with a steady stream of cocaine. No. Yeah. Squirrel. 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 Sells cocaine. He does. You, I mean, Honestly, who would have thought Honestly, I was assuming it? crack. I thought it would be meth. I mean, it's probably all three, but yeah. in this they say cocaine. That's true. You don't have to buy everything in the store. And it can be stepped on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, uh, it's true. Um... On October 5th, 2006, they get into this big fight. And their apartment, it's kind of funny, was above this voodoo spiritual temple that you can still go to. Okay. Um, Did mysterious phone calls come out of it? Yeah, actually, the address is 1007. That's really weird. Good Lord. Are you joking? Yes, I'm joking. Oh. It will. Yes, I'm totally joking. Oh. <laughs> okay. So. That made me so happy. Yeah. Zach had, or Addie had gone to their landlord because she found out that Zach had been having a relationship with another man without her knowing. Obviously, she didn't know. And she's like, you're cheating on me. She calls him the F word, like all this stuff. And she goes to her landlord and she's like, I want him off of the lease. We're done. I just realized where I've heard this story. Where? A ghost tour in New Orleans. Okay. Oh, nice. Probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, the landlord's like, Addie, you're just being crazy. You need to go home and work it out with Zach. And so she does, but it doesn't work out. Uh, She was taking a bath and he came in and calmly strangled her to death. Oh, my God. And um, that's hard to do calmly. So I don't, he he says that he calmly strangled her to death. Humble brag. Where did he? Never mind. I won't ask that yet. Okay. <laughs> After he strangles her, he violates her corpse a few times and then like goes out. And he his friends have said like he seemed kind of off and one of his friends was like yeah he asked me if I randomly wanted to go to Asia and stuff like that and it's like yeah because was he still maybe trying to get off get out who knows he comes back and cuts her body up into pieces over I think it took a couple days to get her fully dismembered um he decides to yeah Probably doing a bunch of drugs. He decides to put her head in a pot on the stove. Her feet are in another pot. And then her legs go in the oven. Uh, The remainder of her corpse was in a, like, I guess most of her torso was in a bag in the refrigerator. And he cooks the pieces that were on the stove and in the oven because he said he thought it would be easier to separate the meat from the bone like uh, that which is that was kind important. of terrifying that but was people, important so that but well, yeah. first of all low and slow people people think that it was actually an attempt to get rid of evidence that makes a lot more sense um yeah. he did not consume any pieces of her though there was lots of speculation because there was like meat or there was like some potatoes and carrots on the side not on the side of her limbs but out (laughs) in the kitchen as well as some spices uh but they did not find any human meat in his body despite the fact also i'm pretty sure people call him like the new orleans cannibal or something like that because because he cooked up uh, he he cooked up yeah his girlfriend Addie. yeah um when people found her it was so charred she was like unrecognizable but the police had been out there so many times for domestic dispute stuff they knew it was her and for this other reason, because he left, anywhere. he left a a big confession note. So Oops. let's talk about what Zach did after that. He went out a little bit more. Got a show on NBC. And uh, was drinking a whole lot and went to this hotel where he got up on the roof did a couple shots, and then threw himself off the roof. Killed himself. He wrote this big note that they found in his pocket. I I was assuming that he was being set up by the U.S. government to cover up the fact that they 
discharged him improperly. I appreciate you. Mm. I appreciate you so much. Because mm-hmm. that still could have been what happened. It could. They probably got him hooked on drugs, just like mm-hmm. the crack epidemic. Totally. That America government did. Why would you leave a confession? Right. That, don't, that doesn't make right. sense. Like you feel guilty all of a sudden? And even if you do, if you feel guilty and kill yourself, that solves your problem. Why would you need to confess? Like, Yeah. The letter in his front pocket said where he lived and that they would find Addie there and why. His keys were also in his pocket, as was the name of his landlord, not Horde, who would show them into the apartment and where it was. On the walls of the apartment of the apartment in spray paint, they found the message, please call my wife. I love her. I'm a total failure. Look in the oven. Please help me stop the pain. Also in his letter, he talked about how he had burned himself 28 times with a cigarette all over his body a year a burn for every year that he's been alive. Jesus. Yeah. He was he was he was probably in need of some medical help. Yeah. That should have been provided to him by the army. For real. Before something like this happened. Yeah. Yeah. It says he I killed her at one AM on Thursday five October. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. I mean, I guess we have to take his word for it because he probably mm-hmm. burned up any choking evidence. He also said in his confession that he wanted to enjoy his last days on earth to the fullest, indulging in, quote, good food, good drugs, and good strippers. I scared myself not only by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years, but my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible of a person I am ask anyone post all this (laughs) a woman named mary voodoo queen milan leased the building on rampart street which is where it is Mm -hmm. and set up shop as bloody mary haunted museum and tour and for a fee that's you can go into the bowen hall apartment to view the stove and the fridge where her remains were found and apparently it's decorated like very Halloween or, you know, like a haunted house almost. Like they have uh, Chucky dolls with blood. It's New Orleans in poor taste, I would say. Never change. Is, is that what this, you went to? No. Okay. Is the spray paint still on the wall? It doesn't say, but that would be horrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would scare me more than anything, I think. Yeah. The hotel he jumped from is downtown, like near the French Quarter. It's the Omni Royal mm-hmm. Orleans. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know that one. Yeah. There's video of him up on the roof of it. So this wasn't like a third floor Mardi Gras balcony in the quarter. No. This was a real well, hotel with a real. Not, mm-hmm. I don't think it's super tall. Right. But it's. Tall, tall enough, enough to die yeah, do the trick like yeah. at least yeah. seven floors um i was picturing something more like off bourbon like you might just hurt yourself mm-hmm. yeah. no it's a little bit taller than that it's like on the outskirts of the like real bourboning area right yeah um but they said like the ghost part was like you can still see him sitting up there like thinking about jumping yeah that's Oof. to get you to look up while they take your wallet 
Um, that didn't happen. I got really drunk on that tour, and then I ran into our tour guide at the Spotted Cat, mm-hmm. and I was like, you're great. I'm going to buy you a drink. And then I got her a drink, and then the next day I was like, that was too much, Lisa. Mm. No, that well, wasn't enough. Well, you never saw her again, so that's true. It's fine. Yeah. Well, she was like, are there any more questions like on the tour? And I was like, yeah, who do you hate? <laughs> and she was like, in front of everybody she yeah. was like well do you see the woman over there with the head wrap and i was like yeah she's like she's a lot i was like okay hell yeah. oh man hell yeah oh man i love i love anybody unconditionally who works in the service in- industry in new orleans because the things they have to do and see and say sad stories yeah not it's, mine. <laughs> yeah, good. Lighten it up because uh, I definitely brought well, it down. Actually, last time I said that, it turned out it was sad. I didn't think it was. I don't know. Okay, so let's talk about. Just don't tell me where horses come from. <laughs> <laughs> there are horses Never. in this story, but they're where you expect them to be. Uh, let's talk about the 1904 Olympics. Ooh. Which happened in St. Louis, Missouri. They were the third Olympics. Gross. Yeah, so like there the fir- were Olympics in St. Louis. Exactly. I mean, back then, yeah, it was like a fun place. No, no it wasn't. No, this oh, is, okay. This is where everything. You're you're exactly right about what's wrong with this. <laughs> so, 1896 was in Athens. 1900 was in Paris. Mm-hmm. 1904 was in Chicago. Okay. But see, the thing is, St. Louis was throwing a big old World's Fair for the 100th anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase. Okay. And. Louisiana Purchase was in 1803, and St. Louis didn't have its shit together enough to have it happen in 1903, so they're like, well, we'll just do it in 1904. And then they kicked a huge fit that Chicago was going to have the Olympics the same year as the World's Fair. They're like, we shouldn't be competing. And so they're like, well, we're going to throw our own athletic games. And then Chicago was like, fine, fine, what? fine. You can have the Olympics. And at this time, the Olympics were still a newish thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as... Like, that would never happen now. But basically, St. Louis wind their way into stealing the Olympics from Chicago. Now, St. Louis, at this time, 1904, was still uh, a mess, a complete mess of a city. And uh, the Olympics and the World's Fair were run by huge racists. So the World's Fair theme for 1904 was empire and race. And not like a critical study of, more like, yay, empire, and we are the good race. And so they had things like exhibits of natives from all of the new U.S. territories around the world. So they flew in some Philippine natives Mm -hmm. and put them into a cage and people could come look at them. No, and thank you. When does this get fun? Various. (laughs) No, it starts pretty awful. Um, Also, did they have planes then i have to ask. yeah yeah so when they were coming so like when people were coming from europe to compete in the games mm. they were flying or mm. were they on ship? Oh, we'll get to that oh. okay okay so yeah no they they shipped everybody this was titanic days right so okay. most most people were traveling by boat right. and so they were exhibiting philippines hawaiians just anybody who we had enslaved and also native americans including geronimo was uh, on display the Geronimo. Uh, the, the Geronimo Jeez. was kind of just standing on a stage and you could go point and look at him. Mm-hmm. They 
tried to stage a bullfight, um, but it turns out bullfighting was against the law in Missouri. So they're like, oh, never mind. We have to cancel the bullfight. Sorry, guys. And then everybody in St. Louis uh, had a riot about it because they really wanted to see some bulls get fought. So um, that kind of marred the exposition, the bullfight. The riot. fuck does a riot look like in 1904? Oh, God. No, thank you. No, it was throwing uh, Molotov cocktails and stuff. Um, anyway, so it was a big mess. Then they, the British were like, well, what we're going to do in our pavilion is celebrate our major victory in South Africa in the Boer War. We totally kicked some native ass and won that land for the white people. So what we're going to do to celebrate that is reenact the war in Missouri, and to do that, they f- shipped in actual participants from the war. So this wasn't like a civil war reenactment oh, done by actors. sad fat people. Yeah. It was the actual soldiers reliving the battles that they had fought, but with blanks now. So they shipped in. No, aren't uh, these people all old as fuck? No, the Boer War was like that year. Oh, so they like shipped <laughs> in their prisoners from the native tribes that they had been fighting and, and made them fight a reenactment of the battle they lost. I got confused and thought you were talking about the Civil War. In order to like win their freedom or something. I don't know. And so wow. that was fucked up for both sides. Nobody really wanted to relive yeah. this horrible war, but it was for entertainment and education. When does this get fun? <laughs> it doesn't. This is this is how it goes. The problem with St. Louis was it was very, very hard to get to in 1904. There was a railroad... And everybody had to go by boat. The three big inventions that were on display at this expo were uh, the car and the trolley and the um, white air- and the airplane and the and whiteness. But like, so those three things were still in like experimental stage. Like, oh, there's cars and mm-hmm. not experimental. People had cars, but like it was still a novelty to see a car or mm-hmm. an airplane or a trolley or whatever. Um, so Teddy Roosevelt, who was the president, officially opened the fair by telegraph and sent his daughter Alice because it was too much of a pain in the butt for him to go there, um, which set the tone for everything. Uh, the kinds of people who did show up, Helen Keller was there when she was 24 and just graduated Radcliffe. So she was at the beginning of her fame. Some nutritionist who said the phrase an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And that's where that comes from. And other like T.S. Eliot was there. Whatever. That's not the interesting part. The fun part is that they tried to throw the Olympics during this, but it was a mess. They were barely keeping their shit together with the World's Fair in this dusty ass cow town at the western edge of the known universe at the time. Mm -hmm. There's only 45 states. You know what I mean? Yeah. They weren't yeah in the middle yet olympics only had 650 participants 90 percent of which were american okay (laughs) so like of course only about 10 percent of the participants were from anywhere and there was only like 10 countries who showed up at all with anybody and most of them were there for the world's fair the first two um black african athletes to ever compete in an olympics happened at this Olympiad in 1904 in St. Louis because two of the reenactors of the Boer War thing Mm -hmm. from some of the tribes of South Africa um, decided or were coerced, it's unclear, into Mm -hmm. joining the marathon. Okay. For kind of an experiment to see how they'd do. Um, And you got to understand this Olympics featured, like, first of all, tug of war was still a 
an Hell event, yeah. which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still featuring like Greek games only. And then they had a bunch of exhibition games. And because they had all these native tribes there, they had the native tribes do all sorts of like exhibitionary athletic feats that were just as awful and exploitative as you'd think. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of this just like, hey, let's see how these not white people can do and prove to ourselves that we're better than them. That was literally the theory that led to all of this. There were other scientific experiments going on, which we'll hear about now with the marathon. So the marathon was the most infamous disaster of this whole Olympics, which were spread out over six months because they just couldn't get their crap together. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds terrible. So the marathon was held in mid-August in St. Louis. Oh, oh, God. In the afternoon. No. None of their roads were paved. Mm-mm. And they ran it around on the west side of town, which was still fairly undeveloped on dirt roads. And the big innovation was that because it was so hot and nobody really wanted to like just stand there in the sun to watch the marathon, they allowed people to follow them in cars. So they had cars okay. just driving alongside the runners in 90 You're doing heat. great. Yeah. Roll up the window. Exactly. Okay, let's go. So most marathons are done at like five in the morning or six in the morning. They all start really early because you really want to be running 26 miles in about 70 degree heat at worst. Yeah. 90 degrees, it gets really, really dangerous and they would never do that in modern times. So at this time they're doing it in the afternoon, heat index of about 105. Fuck. Uh, The participants were a handful of professional runners from the United States. Mm -hmm. These two guys from South Africa, uh, a mailman from Cuba who really wanted to participate in the Olympics. And so he ran all the way across the island of Cuba to prove he was a good runner. There was no Cuban team or anything like and raised the money. Oh, you'll love it. Wait till you see his picture. He raised the money to get to the United States by doing that, like by kind of as a stunt. So he gets enough money to get his like ship fare from Havana to New Orleans. And he was going to go up the Mississippi to St. Louis by steamboat. Mm -hmm. He gets to New Orleans, promptly loses all of his money gambling. Aw, come on, guy. And has to hitch a ride to St. Louis, barely making it in time for the marathon. Uh, he brought no clothes with him. He was wearing his mailman outfit and just oh. regular shoes and a little hat. And here, here's a picture of him. This is making me fucking sad. It's so cute, though. Hold on. Oh, no, that's grape DNA. How did that happen? Grape DNA. Smithsonian.com sucks. I know, it um, really does. Um, but they have the best picture of him. There he is. It's small, but you can see he's got a, like a little curly mustache and he's wearing like Aww, one of those little flat you go, hats. guy. And uh, one of the other participants took pity on him in just his regular work boots and long sleeve shirt in the 100 degree heat. So they came by with scissors and cut the bottom off his trousers because mm-hmm. they're like, you're going to die right. if you try to run in that outfit. So his name's Felix Carbajal and he's a Cuban. And then there was 10 Greeks. Okay. We're there for the World's Fair, and they were like, well, we're going to... Got to make it authentic. Got to prove that we're good at this, because we invented it. Um, and then, you know, a handful of Americans, like I said. So uh, they fire the gun, uh, and all 18 of the runners take off. I think. Hold on. Let me make sure I get this number right, because it's kind of the fun part. <laughs> I'm still so sad for Felix. No, Felix is going to do well. Don't worry I about know, Felix. I but he, like... 
32. Uh, so 32 people uh, go. Uh, only a handful finish this marathon. So they start running. There's a one front runner who uh, won the Boston Marathon that year. And he uh, takes off. He's doing great. And he collapses to the ground a quarter of a mile in. Mm-hmm. because all the cars were following him like he's the Tiger Woods of this race and everybody wants to watch him and they're kicking up dirt and it's going straight into his lungs and he collapses in a heap with oh, bloody lungs and God. has to go straight to the hospital oh. and almost dies. Wow. So that's our front runner. Uh, Sorry, guy. They carry on. Two others almost die from just dust inhalation mm-hmm. and like oh, heat stroke and everything. Uh, and you'd think the one thing that they would do if, you're running a marathon in the afternoon in extreme heat wearing not athletic clothes is provide lots of water stations. Sure. There was one water station halfway through the course (sighs) coming out of the municipal water tower. Um, And that wasn't just because they were idiots. It was because the organizer of the Olympics wanted to run an experiment to see the effects of dehydration on a human body pushed to the limits. He didn't tell the participants this. This was just what he wanted to do. So this is how people were thinking back then. They were just like, lords of the universe, run little ants and tell me, you know, show me what to do. Rude. Okay. So everybody's dropping like flies. This is such a fucking bummer. <laughs> it's, I think it's awesome. Uh, so this guy, Fred Lors, was, be, quickly became like one of the um, leaders in the race. And he's doing really well. But he gets cramping and dehydration and uh he's about to collapse and he sees one of the cars coming by and everybody's cheering for him but he's just like this sucks nobody's nobody's paying attention to the olympics this isn't the boston marathon there's not a big prize i get a medal and that's it there's no money i'm not competing for my country i'm just here running a race i'd rather go to the exposition and and see helen keller talk or whatever so he just flags a car down and jumps in and then he just drives mm-hmm. the rest of the course, leaving <laughs> people. Hell Fuck yeah. That. But then the car breaks down at about mile 20. <laughs> Boo. So he gets out and he runs the last six miles of the race. Hey. And uh, he shows up at the uh, finish line and uh, everybody's cheering and he's just looking around like, yeah, yay. And Alice Roosevelt comes down and puts the laurel <laughs> wreath on his head. And he was like, hey. he's like, sure. And then like somebody drives up in one of the cars who was following the race and like leans out and goes, he cheated. He was driving half the time. And he's like, oh, you got me. I didn't say I didn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, joke. I don't give Sorry. a fuck. Yeah. This race sucks. Sorry, I cheated. Whatever. And they were like, oh, you. Anyway, he went on to win the Boston Marathon next year. Um, but he treated it like he was like this is ridiculous yeah uh nobody told thomas hicks that it was ridiculous oh wait i forgot we got to catch up with some of our other people felix our cuban mailman Mm -hmm. uh playfully stole some peaches from some picnickers along the route and so they chased him for a while and then that was good fun for him Some good motivation so he became kind of like a a fan favorite for stealing some peaches so he thought oh i'm kind of hungry again i'm getting some cramps you know what there's an apple tree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat some of these apples, and he ate some of the apples, but they were rotten because it was August and they've been sitting out in the heat. So he got sick, mm. and he was like, "Oh my tummy!" So he, he laid down and he took a nap. Okay. And then he woke up from his nap and he finished ninth. Um, that's not. I mean, that's yeah. way so better than thirty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then the the two guys from South Africa, one of them finished like 16th, just running the whole way and bare feet, by the way, because they didn't have shoes. Nobody would give them any Jesus clothes to wear. Um, the other one who finished 12th and probably would have won the race uh, only finished 12th because halfway throughout, down the track, he started getting chased by a pack of feral dogs. <laughs> That's, oh my god that's the kind of st louis we're dealing with and they chased him three miles off course so he ran 29 miles oh my god in in 95 degree heat anyway let's go back to thomas hicks so thomas hicks is one of the semi-pro runners and he's being followed by a team of coaches in some cars behind him and he sees and at mile 20 or whatever uh Lore's running way ahead of him. He's like, well, I lost. I got second place. And he's starting to lose heart. And they're like, don't lose heart. And he's like, I just need some I need some water. But they won't give him any water. Even though they're following him, they have water. Right. So they just damp a sponge and press it on his lips. Because mm-hmm. their theory is that water would, would slow him down. Yeah. So what they do give him to help him instead of water is egg whites in a cup <gasps> that they've added strychnine to. <gasps> Because in small doses, strychnine is like a performance enhancer. It makes your muscles want to want to go. It's, it's rat poison. poison. Yeah. Oh. But if you have too much, uh, you die. Yeah. Of rat poison. So they give him that, and it does seem to pick his muscles up because it makes him all jittery and ready to go. They also, uh, whenever he gets thirsty, uh, give him some brandy. So he's slowly getting drunk. And poisoned, and he's drinking Filled egg whites eggs. in the last six miles of a marathon in 95-degree heat. So predictably, his body's kind of getting fucked up. He mm-hmm. starts to hallucinate that he's still 20 miles from the end. But one of the trainers finds out that, you know, the winner wasn't a winner. He cheated. Mm-hmm. So they're like, dude, you're in first place. He's like, okay. And he just starts I running, right? Run. And then they keep giving him more strychnine and egg whites and brandy. And he's Ugh. getting gray and ashen and he's like stumbling and he's like dying on the course uh and they're carrying him to the finish line with cramps they like get to the final lap around the track that's in the actual oval and his trainers are literally carrying him while his legs still kind of move in the air oh my god and i guess they count that as a win because when he crosses the finish line they're like you win because your legs kept moving Uh. and so he collapses it's a couple hours before he even knows he won the race or that the race is even over. He lost 32 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> this one, is that? No, no, no. It's not that much. You know, I've been pounds. trying to lose 32 pounds. So. 12 pounds on this one race. I think That's we all have we a, gotta do. an answer here. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, <laughs> he, look, he looks like a, a freaking ghost at the end of it. Like this skeleton that poor sitting. poor guy. Yeah, and oh my God. just miserable and almost died for a gold medal that ended up not making the official roster of Olympic events because there was because of the it whole it was all fucked because they were experimenting with human bodies. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, I don't think that one counted. Boy, oy, oy. yeah, um, it sounds like rat race. Yeah. And, and St. Louis was a terrible place run by racists who got to do whatever they wanted in 1904, and they came up with a whole bunch of terrible ideas. Get out of here, 1904 St. Louisians? What, would, what are they called? Uh, yeah. St. Lucians? Saint, uh, Louisianans? Is it? I don't know. 
If you're in Missouri, let Fucking us know. Assholes. Yeah, right. Uh, but the, the the x-ray machine came from that exposition. So, yay. Or it was Ugh. on display there. It was on display there, yeah. yeah. I hate everything about that story i hate (laughs) fucking everything i'm glad you had fun lisa it makes me sick yeah it It is pretty gross sick it's ridiculous it's just everything about it is ridiculous and wrong it's just such poor planning as well well, also in 115 years, someone's going to be doing whatever a podcast is and mm. they're going to be like, y'all, in 2019, can you believe this shit? And like, it, true, it's, it, I'm going to yeah. fucking swallow my tongue. Well, uh, the feature film Meet Me in St. Louis is about this whole thing. Um, oh. But not. In, no, isn't that like a fun musical? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I, I, the Judy Garland movie yeah, is about this World's Fair, movie. but they paper over all the completely horrifying things that were going on. How? How can you paper over that? How can you, you ignore- just don't talk about it? You just talk oh, about the white people. What else was happening? Me and what the white Louis. people were doing. Yeah, that's all they said. Yeah, and then Judy Garland had a great voice, and that's what they did. Yeah. But, well, did we learn anything? <laughs> swallow just, your tongue. No. Uh, don't swallow your tongue. Don't stay in room 1107. Yeah. Wherever it is. 1007. Oh, phew. Thanks, guys. I almost, I almost got in room 1007 it's thinking true. I was safe. I'm so, I didn't realize that would bum so you out. Bummed. I don't know why Like things like that just hurt my heart so much. Like that Felix part where he's like running across Cuba and like trying so fucking hard and being like look at the i want this so bad and then and he did it but he's the happy story yeah he's not the happy story he that fucking marathon didn't even fucking matter man but he finished a marathon it was his dream he competed in the olympics god he could have like he could have had something better man he deserved better that's what i'm saying Felix deserved better. My heart hurts. They all deserved better. I think Felix is the happy part of the story. The well, rest of them is You don't have awful. much to choose from. <laughs> That's true. Everybody else is pretty sad. I'm like angry now. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that Lisa's angry. The cheaty guy seemed cool. The what? Yeah. The, the guy who cheated his way in the car. He yeah, seemed got cool. in a car. Yeah. He had the right attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... Have the right attitude. That's yeah. That's what we learned. We learned to keep a good attitude. Just be positive. And fuck it. And yeah. fuck it. Don't be sad. Thanks. <laughs>